You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Radio MMT respectfully acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting, the Wurundjeri people, and we are broadcasting to the Kulin Nations. Our focus is economics, that is, how stuff is produced and distributed. We recognise that for many tens of thousands of years, First Nations people's connection to country successfully embodied the world's oldest continuous economy, which was catastrophically disrupted by genocide and displacement. We acknowledge that we have much to learn to reshape our current extractive and exploitive system to achieve sustainable prosperity for everyone. Radio MMT Economics for the rest of us with Anne and Kev. Radio MMT. Looking at the world through the lens of modern monetary theory. Radio MMT. Macroeconomics for a well-being economy. Macroeconomics? Like, isn't that incredibly boring? No, Kevin, it's incredibly interesting. It's all about who gets what and why. Who gets what and why? Okay, I'm in. Radio MMT at gmail.com. Incredibly interesting macroeconomics for the rest of us. Welcome to Radio MMT with Anne and Kev. And hello to our lovely Larry or Larissa, or if you're an in-betweener, welcome to the next hour where we are going to waltz our way through the macro economy. And according to Kevin, we're going to cover everything today. Well, yeah, yeah, we kind of have to do everything because uh, you know we started a conversation on the last show, which which yes. didn't finish properly, and I had a bit more time to think about it and, yeah, and collect yeah. my thoughts. Kevin's had too much thinking time. That's the problem. Oh well, yeah, probably. Yeah. But before we do that, I want to mention. Uh, to anyone who might be listening right now live is that you and I are going to pop down to the pub afterwards. So if you happen to be within about an hour of the studios at 3CR on Smith Street and you can get yourself to the Grace Darling Hotel. Just down the road. Kev and I are planning on catching up with some of those lovely people that we met at a workshop that we went to a few weeks ago here in Melbourne that was conducted by... Modern Money Lab, and that was Stephen Hale and Gabby Bond. Uh, and so there's a few people who are actually in Melbourne, and we might get together a bunch of us nerdy people who like talking about macroeconomics. Yeah, we want to make this a thing. We want to have a little um, a little group of, of macroeconomic nerds catching up at the uh, the Grace Darling after the show on a fairly regular basis. Mm, that's where we will raise a toast to uh, our post-capitalist future. Yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> but before we get on to all those things you're burning to discuss, Kevin, I think we should have a listen to the letter from the Cape that Bill Mitchell has sent us. So, of course, Bill is an economist who is a co-founder of Modern Monetary Theory, the school of economics that we follow. And I think this time, Kevin, Bill might be on your side. It's time for A Letter from the Cape with economist Bill Bill Mitchell. In The Cobbler of Preston, which was a comedy play written by British playwright Christopher Bullock, in 1716, we encounter the cobbler's wife, who accuses the local ale shop owner, one Madame Hackett, of sleeping with her feckless husband. Hackett rejects the accusation, saying she is a woman of reputation, and sleeps on a good feather bed, 
and would not consider hanging out with the often drunk cobbler. A resolution was sought with the local justice of the peace, and the wife said she was sure the infidelity had occurred. The cobbler himself responded to this surety, saying, "'Tis impossible to be sure of anything but death and taxes." You see, there is a literary element to this podcast. Anyway, when people use that expression now, they know that taxes are an inevitable part of life, unless, of course, one has lots of cash to splash around on fancy accountants who know all the tricks. But most of us think of ourselves as taxpayers, and we are sure that our taxes are being used by government to fund their spending. That belief, reinforced daily in the media and by the politicians, that it is our money the government is spending, has hamstrung government to the point that it fails to meet major challenges like housing shortages, the degradation of our education and health systems, and climate change, to name just a few. And us taxpayers are also conditioned to think that to expand government services, we either have to accept spending cuts elsewhere or pay higher tax rates ourselves. Neither option is very attractive to us. And because of the divide and conquer narratives that create a moral ranking among citizens, like hard-working taxpayers, as opposed to lazy dole bludgers or welfare cheats, that sort of talk, it is usually easier for us to accept spending cuts as long as we are not directly impacted than it is for us to accept higher taxes which impact upon us personally. At that point, we are all on a slippery slope to austerity where all sorts of essential projects are abandoned or delayed. And then, after years of neglect, we realise in 2023 that we are decades behind where we should be on our response to climate change, on the uptake of electric vehicles, on retrofitting our homes to be energy efficient, on closing the gap with our First Nations peoples, on dealing with mental illness, on making our cities better places to live, and all the other things that were scrapped or delayed because we made it clear to the politicians that we would boot them out if our taxes went up. A litany of fictions piled up, one on top of the other, until the result is a fog of humiliating ignorance and dysfunction. Think about the MCG scoreboard that we discussed in episode 3. The scoreboard can never run out of points. Issuing agencies can never run out of tickets. The Australian government issues its own currency and can never run out of it. We certainly pay taxes, and in that sense we are taxpayers, but our taxes do not fund government spending. It is not our money that the government spends. We use the currency that the government issues. In that sense, it is their money that we use to pay our taxes, and they have to issue it, that is, spend it into existence, before we can get our hands on it to pay the taxes. Now, if they don't need our money, then why taxes? That's a good question. 
Think about a situation where all productive resources, labour, machines and the like, are all working at full capacity. We call that full employment. Now say the government wanted to invest in a green transition, which would require it to hire more labour in the public sector. The only way they could do that, if there was full employment, would be to offer higher wages to lure the workers from their existing users. That bidding war would probably create inflationary pressures. So what to do? The government would have to reduce the private demand for those resources, that is, create idle labour. How might it do that? Well, in days gone by, government just enslaved workers and that was that. But now, the government imposes taxes, which reduce our capacity to spend and creates those idle productive resources. It can then offer work to those workers without entering a bidding war and creating inflationary pressures. Tax revenue does not provide the government with any extra spending capacity. The taxation just ensures that it can buy productive resources from the private sector without having to enter a bidding war for their services. There are other functions that taxes play. I'll talk about that another time. Bye for now. CR, here to stay. Taxes, there's nothing sure in life except for death and taxes, Kevin. Yeah. If you live in a monetary economy. Yeah, the tax the tax hurdle is always um, the big one with uh, with modern monetary theory. People people can't come at the idea that their taxes don't pay for government spending. And uh-huh. they and I get it because you and I we we both thought the same thing. Mm. Uh, and then you you investigate the system and you see how it actually works and you have a look at things like COVID and, and other examples and you go, well, they didn't need any taxes to spend all that money. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's hard to get your head around when you first hear it because once you understand that the federal government does issue the currency, no one else can do it and it's the only way it can spend, then, of course, the question comes up, well, why are they taxing us? You know, why are they taking money off me? Yeah. And so, of course, there are definite reasons why it is still a good idea to pay your taxes and the big fundamental reason is to do with how the monetary system functions which is that the federal government or any authority the first thing it's going to do if it wants a currency is it's going to impose what they call a tax liability in other words it's going to say to the citizens that you owe us for example a thousand dollars in taxes And the citizens are going to say, well, what are dollars and how do I get them? And the government's going to say, well, I'm going to issue them and the way you're going to get them is you're going to do stuff for me. So you're going to build me some roads and schools and hospitals and so on. Yeah, and that has to happen first. Um, It's Mm. like the the government has to issue the currency first. And we're going to talk about this later on in the show um, because it it comes into the everything, the world of everything that we're talking (laughs) about. The world of everything, yeah. Yeah, So, uh, but you can't, you can't pay tax until you've got the currency and can't get the currency until the government spends it into existence. That's and right. And the, the reason you want to earn the currency is if you say to the government, well, I'm not going to pay my taxes, the government can make life very difficult for you. Yes. I, I've, <laughs> I've, I, um, 
I, I worked for a company um, back in oh, way back in the day, uh, uh-huh. and uh, the guy didn't pay his uh, his taxes, mm. his P oh, what was it? his PAYG tax along the way, and they're going to shut him down. Mm. And uh, and the, uh, the the government came over and said, and he pleaded to him. He said, please, 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 give me one more chance. It was a rough year. I'll uh-huh. never do it again. And then he did it again, and they shut him down. Ooh. Well, that goes to show. <laughs> and and the guy the guy that came in to shut us down was an old school buddy of mine. <laughs> I've gone, Martin, what are you doing here? He's gone, I've come to shut you down and change the locks. <laughs> oh, no, it's like meeting the ticket inspector, isn't it? And, you know, I used to live in the United States, and I can tell you that the arm of government that people were most afraid of was not the military, and it was not the FBI. It wasn't even the CIA. It was the IRS, which yeah. stands for Internal, Internal Revenue, Revenue Service. Service. Speak to Al Capone. He'll, he'll, uh, he'll, <laughs> exactly. That's what they got him for. So it is used uh, as a form of control. And yeah, I can understand some reasons for tax. But one reason that I um, can see tax playing a far more important role is uh, for inequality to mm. to level the playing field and i think our tax structure is completely wrong at the moment mm-hmm. because people on low incomes are having a proportion of their required earnings um, taxed and I, I i just can't see why mm. like businesses businesses uh, don't have to pay tax on their expenses it, uh, residents uh, normal people do if you run a business and and you're renting a factory and you've got electricity bills that's all tax deductible. If you're a private citizen and you're renting a house and you've got electricity bills, they don't care. These are all expenses that um, essentially it should be taxed on your profits like businesses. Businesses are taxed on their disposable income, which is their their income after expenses. And I can't understand why that doesn't apply to normal citizens mm. as well. Mm. So so that needs to be fixed. And then at the, at the other end of the spectrum, you've got these people earning enormous amounts of money who are paying less and less tax, which just means that they're able to buy more and more influence. Yeah. So another reason that we want to tax, even after we get this monetary system going and we've got the ball rolling on that, is uh, this thing called redistribution. So if we had a government that actually governed for the people, you would have a fair tax system, but they don't do that. They're taxing for people who have accumulated so much money that they can buy influence, and so you end up with this distortion on democracy. Mm-hmm. You know, And it's also an odd thing to tax wage income because... Another reason to tax is to discourage bad things and encourage good things. So you would think people working for a living would be a good thing. So why would you tax that? Yeah. And you'd be much better off taxing things like um, gambling, say, or tobacco if you don't want people to be doing those things. Yeah. So that's another use of taxation. I have a sneaking suspicion in our in our very neoliberal uh a society that uh, tax on workers is used to keep them lean and mean and hungry oh, like other I things. Suspect. <laughs> you know, it's 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 kind of like just keep working. You need to work more. You need to work more. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other big big macroeconomic reason to tax is to do what the economists call creating the fiscal space or creating the real resource space. Now, talk me through this because I, I, I hear it and, mm. and, it, and it does, and I, I understand that it exists and I kind of got it, but I need it explained. The way I can think about it is if I have an example. So imagine the federal government decided in its wisdom that it was going to create a fast train between all the capital cities so you could zip off to Perth in a couple of hours or zip off to Sydney. And... If it looked at that and said, well, that's going to cost billions and billions of dollars, what the federal government would do is it would gather together all the smart economists and it would say to them, can we do this? Can we spend this money? And they're not saying, can we find the money? What they're saying is, 
Do we have enough concrete? Do we have enough steel? Do we have enough construction workers? Do we have enough people in the end who can sell tickets for these trains and whatever would go into our fast train? And if the economist came back and said, well, you know, Australia does have the capacity to do that, but it's going to be best if we do it over about 10 years and then we wouldn't even have to tax anyone. But the government might say, well, we want to get everyone out of aeroplanes as quickly as we can, so we want to do it in five years. And in that case, they would start looking around at who's using all the concrete that the government wants and who's using all the steel. So they might start taxing to stop the McMansions being built or whatever. Right. So they... And stopping the McMansions is creating the real resource space. Ah, okay. So they, if they, um, because there are things like capital gains tax, um, etc. And uh, I think if you own a property, you're eligible for a 50% capital gains deduction, uh, capital ta- gains tax deduction, uh, mm-hmm. and there's a negative gearing offset. So these are these are taxation allowances that they've made people. If they impose them, reimpose them again, that would right. calm down activity in that area. Um, it would free up resources. There would be uh, builders, etc., looking for work. Um, mm-hmm. There'd be... Uh, Labourers, all of those. Hardware and concrete and stuff kicking around, looking, <laughs> looking for... Yeah, and so you, so you free it up by um, making other things less... Profitable. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, so taxation is a wonderful tool and we need it, even though the Australian federal government creates the dollars and doesn't have to tax us in order to get the dollars. Now, we're only talking about the federal government. Just remember the state governments and local governments, they will tax us and they will use that money to pay for stuff. But then they don't issue the currency. They don't issue the currency, but they get grants from the, um, uh, from the federal government. And so... Uh, and they only handled handed those powers over in 1942. Uh, in, there was state, states with income tax mm. up until that time, and it was consolidated during World War II, and they handled it over to the federal government. Um, but the state governments uh, get a large part of their money from federal government, uh, mm-hmm. and so whilst they don't create their own currency, they could put pressure on the... Uh, on the uh, central government that does. Um, I think we could put upwards pressure to have the government spend on the things that we all want. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, okay. So there's a few reasons for, for taxation. Uh, I still think the distribution at the moment is wrong. I think, um, I just know from my own experience, if you're a five-figure income earner mm. uh, and, and I, I'm self-employed, so I get hit up with a quarterly PAYG, at the end of every quarter... I, I, I can just start saving a bit of money. I might have, might have a bit put away, and bang, in comes the buddy PAYG mm. the, uh, uh, statement, and, and and it all goes, and I'm and I'm back to buddy, uh, back to square again. And it's like, it just the, the taxation for five figure income earners just soaks up what would be spending cash that you'd be able to use to go and buy stuff, and then you can't buy stuff, mm-hmm. and it feels it just feels mean to me. I just yeah, sort of like I yeah. go, come on, you know. But he- yeah, so taxation can be unfair, yeah. and uh, that's what we want to be campaigning for: is fair and progressive taxation. What What concerns me is mm. that um, if people get this understanding too quickly, and I think there's a bit of a fear about this in the MMT community because mm. we know that go- uh, that taxes don't fund government spending. But everybody's a bit cautious about saying it because if people find out that their taxes aren't funding government spending like they think they have been, mm-hmm. 
there's going to be a riot. They, they, <laughs> like, you know, it, people will go, what? You know, and I was speaking to, um, who was I speaking to when I was being interviewed here the other day? And oh, I, and you I was were speaking with, with Joe and Kelly the jo- other day jo- on a great show called Radical Australia, which is on Wednesday afternoon. And, yeah. and Joe's going, no, hang on, I've been paying tax for 50 years and you're telling me that that money wasn't needed for, for government spending. I'm going, Joe, you, you yeah, I'm here to tell you. you know, it's, it's, and, well, and, I listened and, to that conversation and Joe brought up a really interesting example of Monaco because he said, well, in Monaco, they don't have an income tax and I don't know if they've got other taxes. But <laughs> after listening to Joe bring up that example, I had to go to my trusty Wikipedia source yeah, yeah. and I didn't realise Monaco has the highest per capita amount of millionaires and billionaires in the world. It's the country with the highest amount per capita. Right. And they have no poverty, apparently, yeah. because no one who's poor could even go and live there. Um, but he was saying, well, they're not issuing taxes, so what's going on there? And I had a look at at what Wikipedia was telling me, and um, Monaco's currency, which was the Mon- Monegasque, the Monegasque franc. Right. Up until 1995, it was pegged to the French franc. So what does that mean? That tells you that the uh, spending power of that currency was supported by the French franc, which in itself is supported by French citizens paying French taxes. Somehow it's tied to French... The French franc. It was pegged to the French franc. Pegged to the French franc. I I don't Mm. understand all that stuff properly and I've got to get my head around it, but... Uh, yeah. Now they've got the euro, and I'm not quite sure how the euro relates to taxation, but it yeah. is a different kind of monetary system, the euro, and we'll have to talk about it sometime with, with yeah. our economists. I know that Bill's not a big fan of the, the euro. He thinks that if you lose your sovereign currency, you lose that ability to, to leverage. Um, yes. It's done appalling things in Europe. So yeah, you know, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of the poorer countries didn't, uh, didn't come off so well, and Germany did really well. And uh, So anyway, yeah. I hope we've uh, given you food for thought about taxing and I'm thinking Kevin we could take a break and then we can come back to when I went a roving with my microphone. Sure okay Um, we'll be back soon. You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. You're with Anne and Kev on Radio MMT. At 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne, Australia. And wherever you get your podcasts. Economics for the rest of us. Now, you've been out and about, Anne. I have. I took my trusty microphone because... Kevin, I wanted to take the temperature of Melbourne as far as what our fellow Melburnians are thinking about the so-called government debt, which, as you and I know, of course, shouldn't be called a debt because it's not something the government has to pay back. And we really need to break this myth around the debt. And, of course, uh, Professor Stephanie Kelton, who is an economist in America, went a long way towards uh, overturning that myth because she wrote a book called The Deficit Myth, which I highly recommend you get a hold of if you haven't already. Uh, But I did speak to a bunch of people who I don't think have read Stephanie's uh, book, so shall we have a listen? Sure. 
So I'm standing here actually at Collingwood Children's Farm. Can I just ask your name and where you're from? I'm Iman and I live in Preston. Have you ever heard that Australia has a trillion dollars in debt? No, I have not heard. I'm a bit shocked, but also not, I don't know. Paddy, and I live in Brunswick. And Paddy, have you ever heard of Australia's trillion dollar debt? No. Gabby, and I live in Surrey Hills. Have you ever heard of the trillion dollar debt that Australia has? Yes, <laughs> I and have heard. <laughs> uh, Brent from Abbotsford. Have you ever heard about Australia's trillion dollar debt? No, not really, no. I guess, you know, countries are always in debt to some extent or another. Um, yeah. My name's Sophie and I'm from East Melbourne. I'm wondering if you've ever heard anyone talking about Australia's trillion dollar debt. I have heard people talking about Australia's trillion dollar debt. Uh, my first name is Ayal. And where are you from? Argentina. And you're living in Melbourne at the moment? Yeah, we've been living here for over 15 years. And have you heard anything about Australia's trillion dollar debt? No, I haven't. I'm Emma and I live in Brunswick. Have you ever heard of Australia's trillion dollar debt? Yes. I didn't expect that question. Does it keep you awake at night? No. No, other things keep me awake at night. <laughs> Look, I know that, for example, during the um, the GFC, they had to spend, you know, they, uh, the Labor government spent a lot of money in order to get the economy moving. Um, but at some point, someone has to pay for it. I guess my concern is about the future, the kids in the future, and them carrying the debt um, and what that, what that means for them. Are you worried about it? Yeah, for the future it could be, could be hard for everyone. It's a bit of a concern because I'd have a young family and debt gets passed on to the next generation, which means it will probably get passed on to our kids, and that's a bit of a problem. So do you have any reactions around Australia's trillion dollar debt? Oh, it's not great. It's not, none of us are in a great position. So we have to think about strategically how we're going to manage that as the population booms and, you know, things get tough with the economic situation. So even just me personally, I've had to uh, now work full time. So I was three days, now I'm five. So you would think it would need to be paid back? Yeah, for sure. It's actually not a debt. It's an investment that the government has made. Government sector spending is private sector saving. It's the government's investment into the economy and we never have to pay it back. So if they were to pay back the debt, they'd actually be taking all our savings away. We think that you don't have to worry about paying it back. I think everyone would be mm -hmm. relaxed that they don't have to give money to the government. That debt is also the investment the government makes which goes into the pockets of households and businesses. And it shouldn't really be called a debt. Does that make any sense to you? Not really. <laughs> so that trillion dollar debt is the same dollar for dollar as the savings that the households and businesses have. And in fact, it never needs to be paid back. Does that um, make any kind of sense to you? No, I'm not sure about that. Mm -hmm. Doesn't make any sense at all. The Australian Federal Government can never run out of dollars, so that's why we never have to worry about the debt not being paid off. No, there's, that's never going to happen. <laughs> there's always going to be debt where there's human beings. Uh -huh. 
um, because that's the reality. It's just not going away, whether it's the government or people spending things they shouldn't be spending things on. So it equals all of our savings. Does that make you feel any better? A little bit, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Savings sounds good. So it's actually the money supply in the economy. So if we didn't have the debt, we'd have no money. Oh, so it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's not such a bad problem. (laughs) Where do you think the Australian federal government gets its money from? Where does it get the dollars? I actually have no idea. No idea. I have no idea, to be honest. I know nothing about the government, I'm going to be honest. The Australian federal government, what it does is it just tells the Reserve Bank to put the money into bank accounts. So all it's doing is typing numbers into a computer to get the money. They're just typing numbers, really. Into a computer. And then... And then it goes into bank accounts. Yeah, okay. But where's that money coming from? From the computer. (laughs) Wild, yeah. That sounds like a wild idea. Yeah, but I'm not... Yeah, yeah, it does. Money is just accounting. Yeah. Mm. So that's why we say that you don't have to pay back the debt because all the government did was type that trillion dollars into computers. They've got all the money in the world, apparently. When the government spends money, where do you think that money goes? Just like everything, things being built, schools... I don't know, yeah, every, just everything... So things happen when the government spends, schools, hospitals, but the money that they spent to do that, where does that go? Isn't it on the things that they've spent it on? It's going into the bank accounts, for example, of the construction industry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's the trillion dollar debt. It's in all our bank accounts. Interesting. Have I just blown your mind? A little bit, yeah. (laughs) My mind is blown. (laughs) Thanks for your time. That's okay. Yeah, and I like this uh, next one from the Rethinking Capitalism Forum a little while ago. So I'm here at the Rethinking Capitalism workshop that is being hosted by Modern Money Lab and conducted by Dr. Stephen Hale and administered by Gabby Bond. Would you mind just telling me your name and one thing about yourself? I'm Lily and I studied originally biology so I come from an academic background but I was always an armchair economist just reading a lot of pop economics books the ones I happened to be reading were ones like donut economics I thought this would be a great way to meet other people that might be interested and also to get a language a clearer language with which to communicate those ideas to other people. A few phrases, uh, ways to communicate MMT, for example. Most of that I got from the lectures, but I'd say like maybe 20% come from just talking to people in the discussion groups. Yeah, so if you were to come across somebody um, that, well, why don't you practice on me? For example, if I was worrying about paying back the national debt, what would you say to me? So this is very rough, but I'd say I understand why you're worried because the government and media, everyone has formulated it as though the government, the federal government, is a household. But guess what? It isn't. It's not a household. Our Australian government specifically has the ability to create its own currency and therefore it has the ability to fund 
whatever it chooses. If you want an example, I would say the recent pandemic is one of them. We knew people were going to be out of a job. We knew some people would be homeless. Some hospitality workers wouldn't be able to pay their rent. So what did we do? We gave people money. But where did that money come from? If we had already a deficit, which apparently we did have, well, simply the government created that. Therefore, there are many other causes like that that I'm sure you can think of some like aged care or education for all or even just getting more nurses to administer vaccines and many, many other things that the government could just create money for. I know you might be worried about inflation at this point and that's fair too. What I would simply say is, did we get inflation when we spent all that money during the pandemic? We didn't. When did we get inflation? Much later, almost a year later. JobKeeper had finished almost a year later that we started getting this inflation for which we are now raising the interest rates. It was a whole year later. So it's not cause and effect. We funded all these people to stay at home because we thought it was the right thing to do and we all agreed it was because that is one of its major roles is to create money. And how does it do that? The federal government, no one else, is the currency issuer so it creates the money. Now in the old days you might say it prints money but these days every dollar the government spends is electronic. So basically it just adds a number and some zeros to an electronic ledger. It sort of blows your mind and you kind of think, well, there must be some trick to it, mm-hmm. uh, like it's a magic pudding or something. <laughs> uh, but the fact is it is a magic pudding and there's no real trick to it because you can see that when we needed money for submarines, we found it. We found the money. I think you're most of the way there as far as having your elevator speeches. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. You're on Radio MMT with Anne and Kev. Interesting Vox Pots. They they, they sort of set the scene and uh, you you just want to jump out when you hear some of those things. You just want to say, Mm -hmm. I need to tell you, I need to tell you. Well, that was Lily we heard from last there at the Rethinking Capitalism workshop. And I am sure that Lily understands that uh, the way the federal government creates money, it's not a magic pudding, (laughs) it's not a magic money tree, it's actually what we call accounting, which is just a matter of typing or writing numbers. And they have to match those those numbers to a productive output, the productive capacity. If if you start mismatching the numbers with the productive output, you start throwing your currency into into disarray. That's when it can get... um, uh, a bit weird. So that was the inflation that Lily was mentioning. Yeah. yeah. Now, and I'm busting to talk yes. about this. <laughs> this. Um, this. Uh, I have. Let's uh, hear it. Kevin. There's, a, there's a theory, a theory which I think is very well founded that that all private sector profits are funded by government spending, government deficits in particular. So government deficits fund private sector profits and private sector profits are only funded by government sector deficits. They can't fund themselves. And I'm going to try and explain it to you, see if it makes any sense. That's completely the reverse from what we hear all the time, that it's the rich, smart entrepreneurs who are making the money. Well, the emphasis has been on the private sector for the last 40 years. It says like government should get out of the way and the private sector should run the economy. 
Let me explain to you why that's fundamentally flawed. Mm -hmm. There's two forms of currency creation. Now, we know that the Reserve Bank of Australia creates Australian dollars, and it does it in two two ways. And and you and I were uh, quite confused on the second way for quite some time. The first Mm -hmm. way we know is when the government spends into the economy uh, and it... uh, you know, has projects or, or uh, welfare checks, etc., and that's the, the government spending uh, money, uh, new dollars into the economy. Uh, we understand that. The second form of currency is uh, is bank loans, credit, where you go to the bank and you take out a loan and... It's actually not currency. It's um, bank credit denominated in the currency. Bank Two cre- different kinds of money. Correct. You know, and I've been pulled out of that a couple of times and I probably kept on making the same mistake. So money that you get from the bank, mm-hmm. that money that goes out to, on, on a personal loan goes out into the private sector, uh, it gets spent, uh, but it needs to be paid back. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, when you take out a loan, it has to be paid back. All of it has to be paid back. That's the big difference from the currency that the government's creating, which never, in theory, has to be paid back. Well, whereas... they say it does, but it never does. We run these deficits and, and, mm-hmm. and debts, etc. If you get a loan from the bank, they will t- chase you down and mm-hmm. they will make you pay it back. And they don't like um, uh, being defaulted upon. Mm-hmm. When you've paid back the $100,000, there is no excess currency in the private sector economy. It's, mm. It went into the economy and it went back out of the Disappears economy. Disappears again. And it's, it's paid back to the, um, to the bank and the bank then pa- pays back the Reserve Bank of Australia and it's gone. Mm-hmm. And not only is it gone, it needs interest to be paid. So it, <gasps> it needs to have a little bit more paid. And yeah. that leaves a negative balance on the private sector balance sheet. And presumably the person that's borrowed $100,000 wants to make some profit. So they probably need, if they're going to borrow 100000 they probably want to see 120, 130 back uh, to, make the, to make it worthwhile. So they've got to find that from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, if they find that from somewhere else in the private banking system, that person is going to have to pick up the debt and they're going to be left with a bigger debt. Mm-hmm. If they have to borrow $130,000, they're going to want uh, to see a return on that plus interest. So now it's about 150, 160. And each one of those transactions leaves a negative balance on the private sector balance sheet. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how we, how you organise it or what you do with it, each private sector loan leaves a uh, no excess currency in the uh, private sector economy and, in fact, it leaves a negative balance because of the interest. When you add up all the loans through the whole economy, you're going to end up with a negative number. Yep, and you can borrow and buy stuff overseas and people mm-hmm. can borrow overseas. They can borrow Australian dollars overseas and buy things from Australia all those loans have to be paid back, and it always leaves a negative balance on mm-hmm. the, on the um, because of the interest. Because of the interest, and because it has to be paid back. But we know that companies do make profits, mm. and we know that they do pay interest. Mm. And we all, from this simple logic, we know that that money can't come from private borrowing; it has to come from somewhere else. Where did it come from? Where did it come from? <laughs> <laughs> now, maybe, maybe there's some historic, um, some historic wealth in uh-huh. the system somewhere, but that's going to dwindle over time. As inflation and GDP grows, that, that historic wealth is going to become smaller and smaller. And if it's going to maintain its value, they're going to need to enter, uh, they've got to find the money from somewhere. And the only other place that I can think of finding money that's floating around in the economy uh-huh. that's unaccounted for are government deficits. Government deficits. Government spending. You know what? When I thought of this, Anne, I thought, I thought, Oh my god, I'm so clever. That was just like, <laughs> it was kind of like because you get you get lost in the forest. Yes. Well, you actually took it one step further than I've ever taken it because what I would have said is that when you're paying the interest, it's coming from private sector savings. And so where are the savings coming from? Well, they're coming from the government deficit. In fact, the savings when you do the maths on it all, like as if the economy was just one giant ledger, 
then the Australian federal government's debt, dollar for dollar, equals private sector saving. Yeah, and, and people say, oh, look, it could have come from China, it could have come from the overseas. If money is in the overseas sector, it's got there in the same two ways that it got into the private sector. Mm. It's either borrowed um, uh, privately and uh, it's then released into the private sector, or it might be the Australian government... Uh, sending foreign aid or buying submarines. Well, if we just leave aside the foreign sector because that just makes it more difficult. But, but the, people, people the always come back on the day. Yeah. yeah, they come back at you with yeah. it. And they say, oh, it comes from, comes from China. It doesn't no, come from China. No, it doesn't come from China. Any overseas, <laughs> any overseas Australian dollars came from the Reserve, Bank, from the Reserve Bank, Bank. Bank of Australia and they were created one of two uh-huh. ways, either through private loans or through right. government right. spending into the economy, just that's the right. same as in the private sector. So, that's so, the, so you took this extra step, which I'm quite impressed with, Kevin. <laughs> well, it hurt my head a bit. Um, <laughs> it did. And, and I did run it past... Um, uh, somebody who tends to know a little more about these things uh, than I do. that somebody no, be? I, 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 rang Bill. I rang Bill and I said, <laughs> I said, I said Bill, uh, does this make any sense? And he, and he went, uh, was uh, Koleski? Yeah. He said, yeah, yeah, uh, Kev, uh, Koleski thought of that 90 years ago. It's uh, Koleski's theory of profit. <laughs> I've gone, no, it's my no, theory. No, <laughs> I discovered that. Well, I loved when we were talking about this with Stephen Hale and he reminded us that Koleski himself who was Polish, wrote his theories about the economy in Polish before Keynes, but unfortunately nobody else could read Polish. And they're all the same. <laughs> it was Keynes. He, he beat so, beaten so Keynes. So he beaten Keynes, but, but Keynes got all the credit because... He wrote it in English. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Okay, so now I say this to people and they go, oh, okay, Rodio, so what? So what? Mm. So, so, what, so is, what, Kev? So what? Okay, so what? That means that any person that's been successful in the private sector... Mm-hmm. Has, has become successful of public money, mm. of public money. It, it's, and and we, we tend to make these allowances for, for people in the, in the private sector. We say, oh, look, you know, they were smart, they worked hard, they were, they were in the right place at the right time, they deserve it. Mm. All their profits come from public spending. Now, if that's the case, the mm. public should have a fair say over how that's distributed. And the fact that we've got mega rich people and we've got people on big fat corporate salaries mm. who are all making money, who are all rich and profitable of mm. public money means, to my mind, means that we have far more say over how that distribution goes. We can't be paying people 20, 30, 50, 100 times the basic mm. wage and making other people mm. impoverished and, and punishing them on, on unemployment benefits. Mm. Which unless, are below the poverty line. Unless we are unethical and cruel. Mm. Well, that is, seems to be the way we're running things at the moment. So what you're talking about is that, in fact, it is the public purse where profits have come from once you do all the calculations and look at how it works at the end of the day. Yeah. And so all this idea that we hear from the neoliberal economists and mainstream commentators and journalists and so on, that the government should get out of the way so that these smart people can make money, uh, it's all a big fat smoke screen. And if we had a working democracy, Kevin, I think the public purse might get used a little bit better. This is a, a, a very popular radio station here through CR, and we have a very, a very um, wide output, but we do need a few more people to understand the basic fundamentals of where private wealth comes from. Mm-hmm. Because they should I th- come down to the pub. At, <laughs> at, at, yeah, come down the pub at seven o'clock. Now, I, I challenge anybody who's listening to uh, to explain to me um, uh, something that I might have missed. Um, but hmm. uh, and and this is what we, we're supposed to do in the show is we're supposed to get all this information in. And I had a look at this. We, I went to the macroeconomics textbook. You that, did very um, impressive. And I looked up Koleski, and mm-hmm. and there it was. And there were all these 
these formulas and oh, stuff, no. and I just went, no, no, no. <laughs> just <laughs> well, you know, it's funny when you talk about uh, this smokescreen that the wealthy are waving in front of people who, you know, most of us don't understand how the economy works because, of course, we don't learn it at school. We don't even learn it at university properly. And I was watching a documentary recently on SBS about Elon Musk. Yeah. And he's saying things like, you know, the government should get out of the way and let us do what we can do, us intelligent, smart, creative entrepreneurs. And then in the next breath, just about, he's saying, and by the way, I got a $1.2 billion contract from the government to launch the rockets up to the International yeah. Space Station. Yeah. Oh, do, you know, do you know that one of the best examples of this is Trump? Trump, okay. Trump, the Trump's wealth came from his father. His father was paid mm. by the U.S. government to build housing for returned soldiers, right. and that's how the whole Trump. Um, I don't know if he was a slumlord, but he he provided oh, cheap housing okay. to returned soldiers, paid for by the government, and, right. and then his son inherited that business. Right. And, and so he talks government about contracts. Talks mm -hmm. about this, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit and 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 the private sector, etc. It's all rubbish. Anybody who is 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 rich or wealthy, the money that they have came from public now, government spending. Credit where credit is due because you did have to do something to get the money. So there yeah. is an element of creativity and productivity that is coming out of people who are doing stuff. Yeah, and, and, and I'll give it – and that's what private sector um, borrowing is for. It's to create activity, but it can't create profit. Mm. But, but that being the case, if all – well, all profits are from the public purse and therefore the public has, a, has far greater say over the – disparity of, uh, of, mm. um, of, of wealth, the inequality. Because if there's one thing that will undermine a society more than anything else, it's, it's inequality. Quality. Because mm -hmm. people who get mega rich, they don't need the money for, for anything else. They use it to buy influence. Mm. And that undermines the democratic process. And, and, and they'll use it to screw uh, workers down and make life hard for them and, and have lobby groups, etc. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you'd sort of go, oh, well, look, that's just tough luck because it's their money. It's not their money. It's our money. Our <laughs> I can money. tell that Kevin's had an epiphany here. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it changes all the dynamics. And it, it does. And it, it changes your sense of the rights around what kind of say we as the public and we as the, the uh, citizens who are using this currency – the right that we have to have some kind of say into how that currency is used because the use of money mobilises resources and yeah. that's the important part. And I, I, I reckon it's a bulletproof theory. I'd, I'd love for somebody to explain mm. to me where I might be wrong. Always open to, to be proven wrong. Okay. Joe Toscano, if you're listening, mate, <laughs> get back to me on this because it, it, it's, it's, it's... Where do profits it, come from? It's sound. We know where the money came from. We, we, we know like it's, it's not that complicated. Once you... Once you get the, the, the undergrowth out of the way and, and all of the complications out of the way, there are a few main tranches of, uh, of obvious structure here. And, yep. uh, and I think it's pretty easy to, um, to come to the conclusion that all private sector profits are derived from government deficits. And it, it also makes a mockery of uh, government debt being paid back. If you paid back the, the what would happen if you paid back? You the would crash the debt. economy. I mean, think about it. Like, all that, what your base? If if all profits come from government spending, uh -huh. and the government says that it needs to pay back the debt, it has to take all the profits from the private sector uh -huh. and bin them, put them in the incinerator. Because <laughs> the way you usually hear it is that if we paid back the debt you would destroy the savings in the economy. And where I hadn't gotten to before you came up with this, Kev, was that part of the, what those savings are are profits. So for households, we think of it as extra money sitting in our bank account. But for businesses, of course, that's what they think of as profit. Yeah. And I'd never sort of 
put together that the savings includes the profits. Yeah. yeah, and of course, if the government creates a currency, that it's not a far. It, it's pretty simple to understand that all anybody that has money has money that was created by the government. The mm. private sector is just there to create activity. It, it's there to, to. And it's an important thing to do. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's it's there to lubricate the system, mm. but but the uh, but the core. Uh, uh, element of our functioning economy is government deficits, government spending into the economy, so that um, uh, I'm going to throw a curly one at you, and yep. with one minute to go here, yep. which is how do you respond to the fact that the money that is created by the banks through lending forms about ninety seven percent of the money supply, something like that, or well, there's lots sixty of to ninety percent of the money supply versus the currency that is created by the government through spending forms anywhere between 3 and 20% of the money supply. So someone might say, well, actually, most of the money's been created in the private sector. Well, it, look, it might be created in the private sector, but it's being used for practical reasons. We're talking about profits. So profits as mm. a percentage of the total money supply, you do the maths, I reckon it add up. Anyway, we've got to um, make tracks because uh, we've got Vicky knocking at the door and Mafalda's coming up next. But... Uh, um, I've, I've been wanting to get that off my chest for quite some time, man. So thank you, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I see. This is what economics nerds sound like when they get all excited about economics. Yeah, and, and this is what we'll be talking about when we head down to the pub, down to the. Down Look to forward the, to seeing you all there. At the, which pub again was it? I forgot. It's the Grace Darling. Grace Darling, just down the road. Peel Street. We're going to go. See you Bye. next time. You've been listening to Radio MMT with Anne and Kev. We'd love your feedback. Email us on radiommt at gmail.com or search Radio MMT on social media. Listen to this show anytime, wherever you get your podcasts or on 3cr.org.au forward slash Radio MMT. Support this show and the station by subscribing to 3cr.org.au and mention Radio MMT. We thank all our guests. And we thank economist Professor Bill Mitchell and his mmted.org, educating masses on modern monetary theory. And thank you to our listening listeners for listening. And I thank you, Kevin. And I thank you, Anne. So what's planned for next week? Kevin, there is still so much to talk about. We've got to expose all this rotten economics. Well, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's good and I get it. Do you reckon we could use a bit more music? Well, I made a list of all these terrible economic theories. Like, have you heard of the theory of comparative advantage or the quantity theory of money or the loanable funds theory? Have you heard of a band called Single Gun Theory? Like, they're a really good band. <laughs> I'm sure there's a whole range of, like, macroeconomic music that I could bring into the show. Yeah, yeah, but we really need to do marginal productivity theory, not to mention the natural rate of unemployment and the money multiplier. You've got a pretty good singing voice. I play bass. <laughs> Bill, Bill, he plays guitar. I reckon we could form a macroeconomic band. Like, we could deliver this whole message by music. Well, we could call the band the Permanent Income Hypothesis or the Ricardian Equivalent or Rational Expectations. I think we're onto something here. We're trying to make macroeconomics more interesting to the masses. We're going to, like, form this band and sing it to them. And we're going to, we're going to bring the economists in. We're going to get musical. We're going to do the regression theory of money to music. That will work. That's good. <laughs> regression theory of money. What runs with regression? Regression, suppression, <laughs> instant. There's a world of opportunity here. This, this, this is the lead. This is going to work. You know Bill's going to want to start. Like, you'll be straight on that. Uh-huh. Have you ever sung before in a band? No, you 
don't, you do not want to hear me sing, Kevin. <laughs> What's the next year? Just, just like, do it and make you like We'll get there, we'll get there. Okay, okay. I'm not going to How's about dynamic, self-testing, general equilibrium? Rhythm section of all the years of road, I think, I don't know. Never too late to learn anything. Instrumental, macro-economic structure. I'm short
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.